So it's Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And uh, please open your Bible again as we uh, finish up this series of uh, Drawing Near to God. Um, On uh, Friday evening, I had a close encounter with another car. I don't know if you've had one of these. It happens to be someone that's in this this room, actually, and I did it on purpose. Um, There was the uh, the roundabout near the uh, railway station in in Epsom, and I saw them ahead of time, and I thought I could have a bit of fun, uh, cut across the small roundabout, and I saw the whites of their eyes. They saw the color of my jacket before they saw who I was, and I pretended to do a little bit of road age, get out of the way, get up, and then they realized who I was. It was a close encounter. Um, I can give you more details with a black Nissan car. That's all I'll say. But uh, I saw the whites of their eyes, and I don't know if you've had that experience, hopefully without a physical collision, of a close encounter with another car. It kind of, uh, if it's not done intentionally and with mirth, like uh, it happened to me on Friday, it can be pretty scary. You can think, will the brakes stop us? Let's uh, throw down the anchor, my father used to say. I don't think cars have anchors, but you know what I mean. You just put all your weight on your brake and you hope that uh, the brakes will do the job and stop you before you bump into anyone else. It's the season of Christmas, of road rage and of close encounters, whether it's with a shopping trolley or a car. We've been looking at people, men, women, who've had close encounters with God. We've uh, been through many Old Testament passages, a few new ones as well. And what we've tried to uh, understand is using the scriptures, using the Bible, to learn what's it like when God draws near to people. What do we learn from the interactions that God has with individuals, men and women? And uh, today, I want us to look at Mary. Look down at verse 35. Here is Mary, and uh, it's called the Annunciation, if you're of Roman Catholic tradition. Hail Mary, greetings, welcome. The Lord is with you. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The son that will be born to you will be God's son. And then, uh, then we read of this interaction, verses 39 to 45, where where Elizabeth comes and meets with Mary, and then we read the first Christmas carol. Uh, I don't know what your favorite Christmas carol is. There's always a poll every year. Um, They're all far too modern. This is the first one, and it begins in verse 47. And what I want us to do, not to get us into the Christmas spirit, but to see what happens when God draws near to someone else, Mary, through his messenger, Gabriel, What led Mary to sing? That begins in verse 46. 
What makes her sing? What does she sing about? That's what I want us to do this morning. She, uh, she sings a lot about uh, me, but then she sings mostly about he, beginning at verse 46 and following. So we have these Christmas passages. If you go to Lessons and Carols, you will have read to you verse 26 to 38. That's the Annunciation. Or you will have the Magnificat, beginning in verse 46. That's Mary's song. But what I'm very interested in is the passage that comes between, namely verses 39 to 45. Here we learn something very, very special. It's about the importance of community. I didn't put Catherine up to it, but she said it so helpfully. What happened on Discipleship Explored, people began to share at a very deep and personal level, and we learned far more together than we would have done if we were just by ourselves. And that's something of what this passage has to teach us as well. It teaches us, teaches us about the importance of community. Look at uh, verse 35 again. The angel comes to Mary and says these words. God is going to give you a son. It's going to be God's son. And the one born to you will be the most high and so on. I'm just going to look at Al and say click. Um, and in the verse 38, the verse before our passage with uh, Mary and Elizabeth begins, Behold, I am the handmaiden, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. And this amazing reality that, that Mary submits, it's a moment of tremendous courage, of uh, something that's remarkable, as Mary realizes what it's going to cost her to be obedient to God, but she does it anyway. It's quite remarkable. Here we have this, this young, unmarried mum-to-be. She's going to have a child before she's married. It's not the way that society intended it to be. And if what, the, if what Gabriel says is true, what God says is true, she's going to be shunned relationally, potentially, by her husband. She's going to be ruined socially as well. And yet, she's courageous enough to say, verse 38, may it be to me as you've said. And she submits to God. She submits, but in verse 35, there's no joy. I don't know if you notice that. There's no release. There's no um, kind of generous spirit. There's no kind of uh, whooping in the air. If she was American, she'd be kind of punching the air and all that sort of stuff. There's nothing like that. She submits, may it be as you have said to me, but there's no joy. And it struck me that sometimes as a Christian, that's all you can do. Sometimes as a Christian, you want to submit to God. You can't see where he's leading you, but there's no joy. There is a, a duty, but there's not always a delight. And those two need to come together. And it doesn't come together until Gabriel gives the clue. Gabriel, if you notice, kind of whispers, um, you need to go and see Elizabeth. You know Elizabeth, your cousin, you need to go and meet with her because Elizabeth is having something remarkable happen in her womb too. She's elderly, she's barren. Where have we seen that before in the Old Testament? And yet God is overshadowing her as well. Something remarkable is going to happen to Elizabeth as well as to you, Mary. Look at verse 36. Elizabeth is also under the hand of God. Elizabeth, your older cousin. Elizabeth, who's been barren. Elizabeth, who's too old to have children. Even she's going to be touched by God. And so Mary gets in the taxi and goes to see her cousin. And notice what happens next, verse 41. As soon as Mary comes in, 
Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly she gets tremendous powers of perception, tremendous powers of understanding and insight. And what does she say? Verse 43. How? Why am I so favoured, says Elizabeth, that the mother of my Lord would come to me, would visit me? Blessed is she who believes that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary's confused. I will be your handmaiden. But she goes to visit Elizabeth. And then two things, two truths, two pennies drop. Two things Two realities come into Mary's heart for the first time. She's amazed. She's amazed at what Elizabeth says about her. Mary is amazed at what Elizabeth says about her. Verse 43. How is it that the mother of my Lord... Mary's a social nobody, remember? If you look at Luke chapter 2, she and Joseph go to the temple. They're very, very poor. And so as the Old Testament law says, for poor people, not middle class, not upper class people, for poor people who can scrape together a few coppers, all you need to do is to take a, take a couple of pigeons to the temple because that's all you can afford. It's a sign of her poverty. In verse 48 of Luke chapter 1 that we had read to us, it says this, and Mary says of herself, I am a humble servant. What is it that you've looked on the humble state of your servant? So these two testimonies of poverty and humility. And yet uh, Mary walks in and Elizabeth says, wow, what is it that you, the mother of my Lord, will come and visit me? Why should you come? Why should you care? And Mary's kind of not back. Why are you saying these things to me? She's amazed as that penny drops why am I so special when socially I'm so poor? But then Mary's even more struck with what Elizabeth says about Jesus. About Jesus. Look at sentence 45. The Lord came and made this promise. Blessed is she who believes what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So this great statement has been made. You're going to be blessed because you've taken God at his word, and that's faith. But look at what Mary says. Why am I so favoured, sentence 43? Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord would come to me? See, that's Elizabeth speaking about what's happening in, in Mary's womb. And so where's the Lord from those two sentences, verse 45 and 43? Where's the Lord? The mother of my Lord will come to me. And Mary's saying, well, actually, the Lord's going to be in my womb. And you're kind of thinking, which one is true? And of course, both are. Both are true. Is the Lord the one who has promised, sentence 45, or is the Lord a baby, sentence 43? And the answer is yes. And it's at this point, you start to get a theological nosebleed. Because what Elizabeth can see, filled with the Holy Spirit, is that something remarkable is happening in Mary's womb. All those promises that have been made in the past are coming true tonight, so to speak, in this a wonderful pregnancy. It's astonishing, it's real, it's lofty, it's remarkable, and it's true. And what Elizabeth says pulls it all together for Mary, who was struggling. I will be your handmaiden. I will do what you say, but kind of begrudgingly. And then the penny drops from the words that Elizabeth says in sentences 39 to 45. And then she blurts out, sentence 46, the song begins, the carol begins. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit doth rejoice, says an old-fashioned version. 
in God my Saviour. The penny drops because of the time she spent together with Elizabeth. And it wasn't there before. She starts to sing the first Christmas carol. Now, before we go on to see what she sings about, me and he, as we've uh, come through this series of drawing near to God, encounters with God, daring to draw near, whether we've looked at Job or um, we've looked at uh, Hagar or Sarah, whether we've looked at the other characters of Jacob, the other ones we've not looked at like Moses and Abraham, whether we've looked at Elijah, all of them have been a one-to-one as God has drawn near to a man or a woman in the Old Testament or in the New. The Apostle Paul, God comes near to him. But this is something slightly different. Mary gets no joy until she comes into fellowship with her cousin, verse 39 to 45. Mary has very little understanding until she comes into fellowship, until she comes into community. There's a rich truth in this little passage that so often is skipped over to get to Mary's song. And that is the Lord is mainly found when brothers and sisters get together in community. We need one another, says this little passage that people often fly over. We need one another to understand the gospel more deeply, to have our edges kind of sandpapered off as we uh, mix with friends in community, in fellowship. Let me be frank. The other thing we, we, we learn is if we're struggling to understand and the other piece of the puzzle comes in from a Christian friend, we learn that, but here's another thing is, friends, you never set forth on a calling. You never go forth saying, God has told me to do this. God has told me to be a preacher, a teacher, a music leader, a small group leader. God has told me to go to X, Y, and Z place around the globe. Never do that by yourself. God's will is always discerned in community, in fellowship, together, one to another. Imagine, and I'll paraphrase, imagine um, Mary going to Elizabeth and saying, hey, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah. The angel has just come and told me, so you need to bow down to me. Mary doesn't say that. She's trying to put it all together, this remarkable interaction with Gabriel, God's messenger. Mary doesn't understand, but she submits wonderfully, courageously, passionately. But it's not until she goes to Elizabeth that she has understanding. And there are many, very many, unmary-like people in churches. People who want to do things in their own strength. People who want to go their own way. People who don't want to discern or listen. But people who say, a bit similar to what we looked at last week, thus saith the Lord, God has told me to do this, and they want to go and be released. And often they want you to pay the price. Friends, this little story is showing us about the importance of community for understanding, but also, but also when it comes to understanding and discerning God's will for our lives. There's a funny story of uh, Charles Spurgeon in the 19th century. Charles Spurgeon was up by the Elephant and Castle in a, a big um, temple-looking church called the Met Tab. And uh, someone came to him one Sunday, he'd never met him before, and he said this, God has told me, Mr. Spurgeon, that I'm to preach in this place next Sunday. And Spurgeon looked at him right in the eye and said, no, he didn't. Because if God had told you that, he would have told me too. And the guy was never seen again. Now, that's exactly what happens here, in a way. God isn't going to tell Mary something different to the words he says to Elizabeth. 
No one is to be self-anointed. No one is to be self-accredited. We know our own hearts can deceive ourselves. We know ourselves, we know God, and we will discern God's will far better in community, in fellowship. And that's what this uh, little portion of the Bible teaches us, verses 39 to 45. Mary had very little understanding, and then Elizabeth came alongside her, and then the penny dropped. And when the penny dropped, what could she do? She wanted to sing. She wanted to sing. So what did she sing about? First of all, she sings a little bit about me, and then she sings an awful lot about he. What do I mean? Look at verses 46 to 49. The first thing Mary starts to sing about is an awful lot of my's and me's. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will be called, will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, we Protestants need to listen carefully, and so do Roman Catholic friends as well. Mary deserves an awful lot of honour. She deserves to be praised. She deserves a certain amount of renown. Look at verse 48. All generations from now on will call me blessed. She's going to be a model for others to follow. She's going to be an inspiration for people throughout all generations. It's a very strongly worded statement. And we Protestants, non-Catholic friends, we need to realise that. Mary's a great role model. But if you're raised a Catholic, you need to hear this. Look at sentence 47 and 48 again. You need to keep this in mind. My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Mary is not saying, come to me, come and worship me. Mary realises that she's a sinner who needs a saviour, just like we all do. She's not perfect. She's special. We need to recognise that, Protestant friends. But she's a sinner who needs a saviour, and he's saved by grace just like everybody else. And there's a tension that we need to bring together. And look at what she says, 46, 47. My spirit, my soul. She's not talking about two parts of uh, her person. She's not bipolar. She's not thinking in a bipartite way. It's a parallelism. She's talking about the same thing. God has drawn near, near to me, and he's done something deep in my heart. I've uh, not found a new code of ethics that I'm going to follow. I've not turned over a new leaf. It's not January the 1st, and I'm not going to keep New Year's resolutions for a few days. Mary's saying, God has done something deep. My spirit and in my soul, and it's taken me up. It's going to change my whole life. That's what we've learned in this series. When God draws near to weak people like Paul, he makes them limp like Jacob. He doesn't give all the answers like uh, he didn't to Job, but he is sufficient enough. He calls people to serve in hard places like Agar. He causes people to laugh because nothing's too wonderful for him like Sarah. And Mary, well, something similar happens to her. God draws near to Mary and does a deep and a profound work. When you... Uh, try on Christianity like a pair of shoes, that's not biblical Christianity. You don't put on Jesus. You don't try out God. 
when God draws near to you, you're shaken to the core. And Mary says, my soul, my spirit. It's a whole new experience in her life because she puts together these two things. I'm sinful and I need a saviour, but I'm going to be blessed and I'm going to be honoured. She starts off singing mainly, verse 46 to 49, about me. But then, instantaneously, verse 40, 51, she stops singing about me and she starts singing an awful lot about he. You notice the change from me to he? Sentence 51. He has performed mighty deeds, speaking about God. 51 again. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 52. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. 53. He's filled the hungry with good things. 53. He has sent away the rich empty. 54. He has helped his servant. I love this Christmas carol because it's so unsentimental. Mary's the most unsentimental lady I've ever met, probably. I've met quite a few. There's no Jack Frost here. Okay, there's no jingle bells. There's no um, cattle playing on the plain, when actually they'd probably be eating each other anyway. This is Mary singing about the great things that God has done. His arm is not short. His mercy is uh, sufficient, and it extends, sentence 50, to those who fear him. You've got to love Mary. We've got to respect her. We've got to see her flaws. But we've got to honor and respect Mary because she points us to Jesus. And it's so clearly pointed to in sentence 50. God's grace has come to earth and it extends to those who fear him. It extends to those who fear him. When I was 16, I am... A few behind here. Uh, when I was 16, I went on a water sports holiday, and one of the things I got to do was to have a go at sailing. Thankfully, it wasn't in a big boat like that, but it was a catamaran. I flipped it, I think, twice. But it's really, really exhilarating when you're hanging off. Your own body weight is kind of a counterweight, counterbalance to the force of the wind. It's brilliant fun. Um, do it safely, but have a go. Whether you're too young, just wait a little bit. If you're too old, too bad. Watch someone else doing it. It's great fun. But, but wind, which is so strong, can always do two things. If you harness a wind, like in the America's Cup, picture on the left, you can go like the clappers at a tremendous rate of knots to your chosen destination. You get all the sails out and they billow, and you feel the force of the hair running through your air, and it's free power, and it's green, so everyone loves it, and you go from A to B as quick as you can. But wind can also do something else. Wind can drive you safely to a destination of joy, success, but it can also drive you to the rocks. It can also drive you to the rocks and to destruction. It can flip you over. One's a happy ending. One's an ending you want to avoid. And here's Mary saying, verse 50, God's mercy is like a wind. God's mercy is like a wind, a wind of grace flowing through the generations. And his mercy extends to those who fear him. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. And Mary is singing the gospel. Mary's singing the gospel truth that God's mercy is sufficient and God's mercy is sure. It extends, it reaches out to those who fear him. The gospel is you're not saved by being a good person. You're not saved by being respectable. 
She's singing. Look what she says. The people who are scattered are going to be gathered. If you think you're all together, if you think you're a gathered person, well, you're going to be scattered. If you're a humble person, you're going to be raised, you're going to be lifted up. If you are lifted up and think that you're secure, well, actually, the wind of grace could drive you to the rocks if you think you're sufficient without God's grace. And Mary's singing about like a gospel revolution. You can imagine her being French, saying, vive la France. But here's Mary singing not about a French revolution, but a gospel revolution. The world says, if you're poor, if you're uneducated, then you're not worth very much. Religion comes along and says, if you're good enough, then the people with character, well, they'll get into heaven. And then the gospel comes along and says, no, no, no. Salvation is not based on if you've got enough or if you're good enough. It's based on grace and it's based on Jesus. It's so unsentimental, the gospel, but it's true. And it's like a wind blowing and it can blow you like that America's Cup yacht to a place of joy and happiness and heavenly security. Or it can blow you to the rocks away from the joy of heaven, which is hell. Look at the final thing that Mary says in sentence 54. The last thing Mary says is, he, God, has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God made a promise. It's an old promise long ago, and he's remembered it. He's remembered it by the birth of Jesus that's about to happen in the narrative that the saviour of the world is in Mary's womb. This promise to Abraham was 2,000 years getting towards being out of date. It was hard to believe in what God was doing. But Jesus Christ came. And now we look back 2,000 years ago, and it's hard to believe that Jesus will return. But he will. And Mary says, don't doubt it. I want to sing about it. I want you to sing about it too. Because God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Here's the first Christmas carol. Mary sings a little bit about me and a lot about he, what God has done, and so should we. Mary says the gospel, the good news, the gospel revolution is not be good and God will bless you. Be good and you have your best life now. That's not the gospel. The gospel is admit that you're like Mary Admit that you need a saviour and God will lift you up. Admit you're at the bottom and God will shower his grace upon you and he'll raise you up. And then you can say exactly, you can sing exactly what Mary sung. That this baby, this baby is your Lord. It's not just Mary's Lord. It's not the Lord of Christians. If you're not yet a Christian, what we'd love for you to see and to say is actually that this baby is my Lord too. And this is the Christmas message, and this is the first Christmas carol. It's a lot about me, but it's mostly about he. Let's pray.